This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back hello this is the red box podcast i'm matt chorley a christmas treat for you today with a man that you already know and love. The last time I spoke to Armando Inucci was back in January 2020. The creator of The Day Today, The Thick of It and Veep was promoting his new series, which is set in space, Avenue 5. Uh, and he was about to start work on the second series. I was in the middle of a stand-up tour. We all talked about what the coming year 2020 might hold in store. So I caught up with him for a special Christmas conversation and asked... Have you been up to much in the past two years? Quite a bit. Um, do you mean globally? or I mean, personally. <laughs> how personally, was the last almost two years for you? Um, fascinating, interesting. Some of it sad, some of it kind of quite good, some of it um, hard, some of it um, fulfilling. I mean, as with everyone, I think, I think everyone, it's funny, this, you know, the pandemic is, is both something that we all, it, it's a public thing and that we all watch it, you know, we watch it on the nightly, the news and the press conferences. And so, so we, we, we all share that story. And yet each one of us has our own little story to tell about the last 18 months. Uh, mine was, yes, I was all, yes, when we spoke, I think David Copperfield was coming, it was in the cinemas. Yes, and was, exactly. And Avenue 5 was about to come on. Um, Avenue 5, a show about people trapped, <laughs> trapped under terrible leadership, not knowing who was in charge or what was going on, uh, which I thought was my attempt to get away from present-day politics and just have a bit of fun in space, but turned out to be some kind of commentary on on what we're about to go through um um and i think i was my plan i'd been to to write with the rest of the writing room second series and then shoot season two of avenue five in sort of september of last year we moved it to november of last year but after two weeks we shut down and i decided to shove the whole thing to september of this year so we've just finished it we've just finished shooting now actually and, and this series very much does reflect a lot of the paranoia and confusion that's been we've been going through the last year. I also I wrote a poem. That's the other thing. Which well, I yes, exactly. I was going to come on to that. I was going to go, so yeah. so there, there is a bit of there is sort of COVID in inverted commas in Avenue Five. When will we be able to see it? Uh, I think probably about May June of of next oh. year because I've still got four months to kind of edit it all and put it all 
you know, put all the posh bits of the graphics and the music. <laughs> in. Um, so, yeah. But no, it's, I mean, it's not about COVID, but there is there is a lockdown episode. Um, but there is a general sense of, you know, groupthink and various groups believing one thing and various groups believing the exact opposite and things like evidence and facts not being quite as important as they once were uh, and things like that. So let's talk about uh, the poem. Oh, yeah. Pandemonium, some yeah. verses on the current predicament. Now, I have to confess, Amanda, when I heard you'd written a mock epic poem, mm. I thought this might finally be the thing that Amanda Inucci's done that I can't get on with. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm unlike you, I didn't do a PA or even a start a PhD on yeah. uh, Paradise Lost. Yeah. Uh, and I thought this is, and actually, I loved it. I okay. read, read it in one read. You know, once you get it, once you sort of chewed into it. Yeah. It is, it is brilliant. Oh, well, Explain I, the concept of a mock epic poem. Well, I'm so glad you mentioned it because, it, I mean, it's really not, you're not meant to have read, uh, you're, you're not meant to have had any prior knowledge of any aspects of, uh, you know, epic or, you know, 17th century poetry or anything like that. For All you're meant to have is some kind of inkling of what we went through for the last 18 months. I, also, I thought it would take us away from being very, very specific. So our hero is someone who's called Orbis Rex, which is Latin for world king uh but the gods have thought we'd be terrified if orbis rex came among us but you know so they they rearranged orbis the letters of orbis to make boris and, and that's seen as a much more kind of um, friendly face of this great hero and then it accounts his his great epic battle with the pandemic you know he goes he rides out to to meet it on the field of war and shakes hands with it because he says he's shaking hands with everyone and then falls into a deep sleep and in a lot of these epics our hero goes underground they go down to hades or hell they go into the underworld um so boris goes into the underworld he thinks he's in hell so he, he, he thinks he meets old nick the devil but in fact it's dominic who is this blind again again in epics there's always a blind prophet who who leads our hero uh, shows him visions of things that he normally can't see. So this blind Dominic is is condemned to uh, ride in a cart drawn by lots of mice and insects and other plague-bearing animals for all eternity round a pillar to test his eyesight because he says he is blind. And and um, and so it carries on. And so it goes on. I tell you, if you've got if you've got a copy of it there. Uh, y- yes, yes, yes. Could, I have. Could you? Could you read? I mean, I've got my copy here with all the corners folded down. Okay. Could you could you just, just give us a little bit of it, just so people can get a sense of what what pandemonium is like? I'll read out the bit where Orbis speaks to the nation for the first time. Um, oh yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But rush, there came a noise whose firm sense and hollering uplifted hearts in every house. Folks, said Orbis Rex, we face an enemy unwelcome who we shall fight with every sinew we can spare. For let our watchword be hurrah and no more. Orbis stood in a mighty chamber, newly raised, reflecting all his glory, rebounding off teak panelling and glorious carpets. Fantastically, he cried, we shall put on our armour, or if none available, improvise with sheets and cladding, or cloth barriers and plastic bags, or paper if need be, or pulp. The point is, we are ready. Fantastic. Next to Orbis stood twin magnificent angels, strong in wisdom and wise in facts, sweetness and light were their names, and from them shone unreflected sense and caution too. I concur with Orbis and all he says, spoke sweetness, though science suggests I flesh out his words so they may make more digestible sense. We are not ready, 
at least not yet. Agreed, added Light. But if we were equipped with every mode of repulsion, every cape and gown, every datum and science in the land, then yes, we would be ready, is what he said. It's fantastic, you agree, said Orbis, swelling wide. And fantastic too, the future waiting for us if we snatch the victor's goblet from pandemic's mouth. So I say we will ride out and rid this realm of any wretch that impedes our life. We will tell it that after 12 weeks it must be gone, and it will heed my words, for they are as nifty as ghosts in flight and can scuttle any mortal threat. We are great, and if not great, then getting near it. And so we will tell this vermin to vermoose. Terrific, and terrific use of the word vermoose. Vermoose, haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> I might be wrong, but when I was reading it, I, I just wondered yeah. whether, although you're clearly very cross about what happened, as lots of people are, yeah. whether there was a hint of understanding that this thing that they were up against was an impossible thing. Absolutely. I think um, where the frustration came in, I think, was not so much at the start, although the, the tales of, you know, 15 million pound contracts being given to a friend who ran a pub and so on. Uh, th that's understandably annoying. Um, I think I think the frustration came more in, when the second wave happened, and again the same mistakes were being repeated as had been made the first. I think first time around people were willing everyone to let it work. You know, people yeah, yeah. wanted it to be successful. I don't think anyone was hoping that the whole thing would be a disaster and that the whole situation would get out of control. And I think there was a genuine understanding. You know, none of these people went into politics to do this you know that's not what they <laughs> you know they all went into kind of you know be fiscal revolutionaries rather than have to deal with a pandemic um so i think there was a lot of learning on the job as as um and also i wanted to make sure that the portrayal of the consequences of these decisions was not a subject of a joke that you know there are there there are passages in the poem where I wanted to be quite raw and open with you know what we all felt what different households felt at different times the real pain and um consequence of loss that that people did go through really because I think that's something that we can all kind of understand and connect with really and you you mentioned a couple of I think two maybe three times and you talk about sort of reaching out through screens yes which is the experience yeah. that lots of people have you and i are having this conversation on, yes. on zoom now but you you lost your mother in the middle of it all and yes that last moment was was through a through a facetime well, facetime you know and it's not what anyone would want but i um I, and you know we had a funeral in london where six of us were but you know my our family in Glasgow weren't able to make it, so they had to watch on Zoom. And and you know, I'm grateful for the for you know it, for for things like Zoom and FaceTime. You know, it allowed that to happen rather than uh, us be completely shut off from the moment. Uh, but I wouldn't, you know, I, I I think what other families went through, you know, was was far worse in terms of you know the. the experience but me say my my mother didn't die from covid she passed away age 94 um i think it was when the care homes closed down and and i think a lot of people will will testify to this i, I just i think a lot of elderly people with dementia so just shut down because they couldn't process why nothing was happening anymore you know 
Um, so I was aware of that, but I'm also aware. So that's, I think, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm glad that there were things like FaceTime and Zoom to allow at least some semblance of contact to happen. I think there was, there was a, the other side of it was this kind of in the early days of the pandemic when people tried to think Zoom could solve everything. So we could have like cheese and wine parties by Zoom, you know, which I just thought was, well, it's fundamentally just you alone with some alcohol, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Staring at a screen. It's not really a party. Uh, <laughs> so that's where I thought, okay, we've reached our limit in what this technology there can do. There was a point where I mean, some point I think I remember thinking, imagine this had happened in the early nineties. Yes, and uh, that would have been a very you know you know the fact that I could after we got one for her and it was in store you know speak to my yeah. gran on a Facebook thingy. Yes, or, you know, albeit yes. with Nick Clegg listening in, but um, <laughs> you, you know that ability to have a, something resembling a face to face conversation with lots of people. Yes when 30 years ago we'd have been taking it turns on the landline i know it's a very different weird experience i remember growing up with like we had one phone and it was in the hall yeah um without a seat next to it so my memory of catching up with my friends was just either standing in the hall or lying on the carpet <laughs> phoning them yeah and, and and no one else being able to kind of you know i remember at one um, point um but i've been very excited to discover another friend of mine had a fax Oh wow! So we, we 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 went through a stage of sending each other faxes, but obviously you had to make sure you had to phone them first to make sure they were standing next yeah. to the fax. But there was so, yeah, there was something about all that equipment that even then you knew it was rubbish, didn't yeah. you? You just thought you just thought like your fax. This is just why is this so bulky or um, VHS, that very thin paper, the really thin, thin shiny paper, shiny paper. VHS, as I always thought. This is rubbish. I know this is the cutting edge of technology. I also know this is rubbish because it's big. I don't know where I am and the, you know, duration wise. I, I have no way of knowing where into the film I am other than. Maybe, maybe that's why like, things like things like CDs and DVDs just look like they're from the yeah, future. Absolutely. They look, they look better. They look better. Yeah. Thought how, we'll we, keep... how, how we miss those. Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll keep talking um, yeah. in a moment. It's Matt Trolley on Times Radio speaking to Armando Inucci, talking about his book, Pandemonium, some verses on the current predicament. Uh, we'll, we'll continue our chat after that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. 
Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Matt Jolly on Times Radio in conversation with Armando Iannucci. Speaks about his uh, book, his mock epic poem, Pandemonium, some verses on the current predicament. But you'll know him because he created uh, The Thick of It and The Day to Day and Alan Partridge and Veep and uh, David Copperfield. Basically everything, everything good that you know. And we talk about endlessly on the show. Yeah. Armando Iannucci is here. I, I don't. Um, I, I didn't create David Copperfield. No, no. I'll, the, the, I'll, the, the, I'll give Dickens that one. Um, but yeah, very generous, <laughs> but yeah, very the generous. film, the film. Yeah. So let's let's talk about where we are in the. In, yeah. it, you've sort of you've done TV. You, well, you've done radio, TV, mm. film. Now mm. mock epic poem. Where does the world of uh, Armando Iannucci's satire go next? Is it well, uh, contemporary I, I think dance? It, I think it, I think it has to be the metaverse, which is you know. <laughs> <laughs> which the full glory of which is only days away. I think, you know, the promotional video that... I mean, um, the promotional video looked like something you create. It was it looked... terrible. And I just wonder, I mean, all of it was bad. All of it, you know, the terrible delivery. But fundamentally, and this is the crucial bit, the depiction of the metaverse looked so awful and so cheap. Hey, Nick. Hey, Mark. I uh, hope I'm not interrupting. You got a sec? Have you got... Have you got Oppie with you? Uh, I think Oppie's still in the virtual forest, but I always have time for you. What's going on? Look, I, I just love the presentation so far. I, and I, all I can think of within Facebook, or Meta, as we're meant to call them now, um, no one could say to Mark Zuckerberg, don't do this, you look like an idiot. Um, because everyone was scared. So, And also the sheer arrogance to, to, to name his company after a concept presumably is meant for all of us to engage in. It's like, say, calling his company Thought or something like that. You know, it's it, <laughs> you know, it's not yours to own, Mark. It really isn't. And also, it's a word, meta as a word, has a very yeah. specific meaning yeah. that you need to use at a very specific time. You know, yeah. you, probably, you probably do it in your, you know, that, is that idea a bit meta? Meta. Now yeah, means exactly, something different. It's a slight, and it's also slightly, you know, within comedy, it's slightly a derogatory word. Yeah. You know, it's like when, if, when people are being clever, clever about something and commenting on the form within the form, you know, you yeah. say, oh, that's a bit meta, as in that's a bit not as funny as you think it is, but you, <laughs> you can get away with it because it's clever. Yeah. Um, it's that. So, so as I say, no matter which angle you come at it from, it's bad. It was a bad. It was all bad. It was totally bad. It was, it was a sort of. It was a black hole of concentrated badness. That, <laughs> with, that, with Nick uh, Clegg at the centre of it. With Nick Clegg at the centre. <laughs> yeah, the complete absence of light that is Nick Clegg at the centre. <laughs> now, what another thing I want to ask you was, um, I think it was earlier this year I interviewed Anthony Jay, who obviously co-created oh, yeah. Yes Minister. And we talked quite a lot about, um, you know, their intention from uh, mm. doing Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister. And I said, you know, did you, was it just about, you know, making a funny sitcom? He said, no, we wanted to, you know, shine a light and hopefully improve things. And he felt that actually it had the opposite effect. And what it had done had created such cynicism about mm. professional people, Whitehall, lifelong civil servants and their role in mm. holding everything up. That he feared he'd slightly created Dominic Cummings. And this, you know, so somebody could build a career on coming in to smash everything up and, yeah. and all that. And then I've got, so, no, when I was speaking to you, it got me thinking, well, is there a thing with Thick of It mm. that sent up, you know, that sort of Blairite New Labour world of spin, mm. 
but, but uh, the, 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 did you make the perfect the enemy of the good in order to end up where we are now? That people fell out with the, the, the new Labour era and, and now we are where we are. Is this, is this all your fault, Amanda Inucci? Um, uh, it, no, I, 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 I prefer, <laughs> unless people can prove otherwise, I'm prepared to say it's not all my fault. Um, well, A, uh, it would be a very boring comedy if it just showed some ministers getting on with their job being <laughs> being unhassled by distractions but also be you know I, you know I, I based it a lot on research mm. you know and I wanted and the proof of it really of its accuracy was whenever certain programs would go out we'd get calls a couple of weeks later from within Whitehall of people saying how did you find that out because we kept that quiet that that moment and and we are thinking no we were just making it up but are you now confirming that it did take place and the thing that i always mention is and forgive me if i've already mentioned it to you before is the the very first episode where they have to come up with a policy that costs nothing but which sounds quite good in the back of a car within 40 minutes what we need is something that the public want is incredibly popular and is free return of capital punishment that's a joke right you are joking, yes, obviously. Yeah. Come on, Ollie, come up with something. I actually got the cast to improvise for a couple of minutes, and three of the policies they improvised within five years have become law. Uh, I used to know this because I've written about this. So let me remember the, the spare room bedroom tax. That's the spare right. Bedroom tax. Um, plastic bags. Plastic bags, permanent plastic bags, and pet asbos was the other pet one. Asbos, of course. Yeah. And also, you know, I did stop the thick of it some time ago. And, yes. and But my timeline in Twitter is full of comments from people going, well, I think what's happening now will put Imaginucci out of a job because it is so beyond anything he would do, <laughs> which is true, you know. So I... I, I, I bear... is, is, is there an element of truth? Is that why you're now doing a show set in space? Because <laughs> a show set in Whitehall wouldn't work? Well, the attempt was to get away from, you know, the current predicament and, and try and, you know look at social behavior avenue five is really about social behavior but you know when the first series went out it went out at the time all these cruise liners were being stuck in ports and the passengers unable to get off and we did do there is an episode where people passengers are convinced that they're still on earth and go through the airlock and die but still keep going through the airlock you know just as people in america were trying to say this pandemic is is made up it doesn't exist the hospitals are empty it's all a, you know, it's all a conspiracy and so on. Um, so I suppose, I suppose there's part of me that can't, I think anything you write really, whether it's historical or science fiction is about the present. It, yeah. Inevitably it is. And that's why, you know, that's one of the reasons why Shakespeare still has appeal because you watch it and you think, oh, that's like, you know. Oh, Absolutely, like, yeah. You know. Now, the other thing I want to ask you about was um, so it, the annual tradition of the Chorley household is that we watch Knowing Me, Knowing You'all. Oh, the right. Alan Partridge Christmas special. Okay. Which is still stand out. Um, does it still but, stand out? Yes, it completely does. Although there okay. are bits, which I always sort of slightly forget about, there are bits where I wonder, well, I don't know if they would do that now. Right. Do yeah. you rewatch your old stuff? And I don't. No. I mean, occasionally you catch something as you're flicking on, it comes up on Dave or something like that. Um, uh, but I don't, no, I don't. I, I think a you'd go mad if you just <laughs> just sit down and watch some of the old stuff. Yeah, I think I think Christmas morning I'm going to start off with a 
<laughs> a little bit of time trumpet, I think, just to uh, no. I mean, you know, but what has been interesting, obviously, is my children have grown older and have found these things for themselves and seeing whether they still stand up, you know, and yeah, yeah. hearing their reactions to them. So I don't, and I think you're right. Also, you write, you know, uh, tastes and um, take and 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 just certain tastes and 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 I was going to say standards, but that's not the the word I'm after. But just your sense of what feels the right thing to say and what is pushing the point or crossing the line that changes over the years. So yeah. inevitably, I'm sure you know if I dug stuff out from 20 years ago there'd be bits in it i'm thinking well i wouldn't write that now um you know because that's i think that's inevitable really the question mm. about sort of the, the the pressure from and it doesn't matter what you call it wokeness cancel culture the being constantly policed by your when you're in your writing do you worry about that no today? i don't really. I, I kind not that, of not that you're Bernard Manning, and you know you you, you well, ought to be worried about it. No, but you know that's obviously you know there is an opening there. Um, <laughs> a new direction, uh, a new direction. You know, for GB News or something. Um, no, I don't. Not personally. No, I I kind of feel you know I spend most of my career trying to work out you know where the line is telling myself with each project I thought tell myself where is the line you know where roughly where do you feel you're stepping over the mark and every now and then do it anyway just to see yeah. what happens you know and I still sort of feel that but I don't set I, I don't write anything setting out to annoy people or um, offend people I just set out to write what's funny but you know my sense of what personally I find funny tends to circulate around either embarrassment or awkwardness or you know challenging yeah. people's perceptions i also do think you know fundamentally what's wrong with being offended you know it, it's good to be offended because it, it tests it tests your own beliefs you know if you've got a certain set of beliefs and and you can't take a joke then i sort of feel you might mm, those beliefs aren't as as strongly held as you might think i think it's worth actually and the thing we have lost i think is that tendency to debate you know to 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 seek out someone who has an opposing point of view and 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 to challenge each other about it because that way you can test your own you, you can test whether you've thought through your own opinion properly enough you know by by having it challenged also just the idea of just thinking i don't like him so i'm not going to watch it well yeah there is that rather there than like that. just shutting it down you know yeah. Mrs. Brown's boys, not to my taste. Don't like it. I'm going to campaign for it to be taken off. Exactly. Uh, they must never work again. Uh, <laughs> and the people who commissioned it obviously need to go should, to prison. Should, yes, they'd have uh, their, their homes raised to the ground. Raised to the ground, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, a very, it's a very weird, um, yeah, it's a very weird, weird sort of reaction to I don't like something, so therefore it yeah, must not it, exist. It's like, you know, I think we should start by going, well, I disagree, rather than. Ah, you know, you know there is, and we can certainly work our way up to it. I hope I didn't shatter your needles too much uh, when I did that. But you know, there is, there, is, there are gradations. Yeah, there are the ways for it. So, um, Avenue Avenue Five is in the can. You, that obviously needs to yeah. be edited. What's the yeah. next big? What's what's the next thing on the horizon for Amanda Inucci? Um, I'm looking at doing another film. Uh, next year, but it's all uh, it'll be set in the world of social media, 
But other than that, uh, I was going to say I cannot say. I mean, I cannot say because we're still writing it, but um, I, I kind of want to leave it slightly under wraps other than it could be. So it will be contemporary. Um, uh, and and um, I'll leave it at that. That sounds that sounds good. <laughs> that sounds dangerously like it oh, is really? in the metaverse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope, I'm, I'm glad it sounds good because you know what I just said sounds very vague. But well, you know, if I can persuade some financiers as well to uh, well exactly finance it, then that would be great. But uh, no, we're all we're all set to go with it, and um, and, and I'm kind of looking forward to it really. Amanda, it's been lovely to speak to you. Happy Christmas. Thank you very uh, much. Best of luck. If I mean, if someone's listening to this and they need to do some last-minute shopping, you've got a couple of days. Pandemonium, some verses on the current predicament. I loved it. It really made me laugh. I thought it was, oh, I thought it was terrific. So, no, thank you. Amanda, really good to speak to you, and a happy Christmas. A happy Christmas to all your listeners throughout the world. That was Amanda Iannucci there, and we've got some absolutely cracking Christmas treats for you coming over the next week. On the podcast, you'll be able to hear the Panto, my Christmas selection box with Mariella Fostrop, a special focus group with Times Radio columnists, a look back over some of the best uh, the Prime Ministerial chats with Andrew Jimson. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. If you are out and about and travelling, or if you're self-isolating, don't worry, the podcast is going to be with you every day, uh, all the way through uh, to the new year. Uh, but for now, from me, it's a very Merry Christmas, and I look forward to catching up with you again in 2022. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.